Now, that is a perfect um, experience for us to start into the message this morning. This series, we've talked about the table. And we've talked about um, God's call on our life to come to the table in relationship with Him. God's call on our life to compel other people to come to the table. We've talked about uh, last week how God calls us to connect at the table. And then today we're going to talk about um, community at the table. And so I thought what we might do this morning is just sort of um, model that community at the table as I share a few thoughts with you uh, on, on this idea of community at the table. And then we'll talk at the end this morning about how to get involved in a life group and how to live that community out. What I want to do for a few minutes this morning is give you uh, some thoughts about the history of hospitality. Sort of how hospitality has worked uh, in history. Unfortunately, we live in a culture today where hospitality has been commercialized. In other words, most of the hospitality we receive, except in time of crisis, is professional, not personal. And Starbucks has picked up on this idea. What Starbucks actually doesn't sell is coffee. What Starbucks actually sells is hospitality. They give you a living room. They give you a place to come sit in. So, and the people who have written about the success of Starbucks has talked about that. The secret is not in the coffee. It's in the coffee house as a place to connect. Hotels were the first uh, to commercialize hospitality. For centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, thousands of years, ordinary people opened their home to strangers as they would pass through town. In medieval times, monasteries were places where people received uh, food or a place to stay on their way while they were traveling uh, or somewhere else or, or help for the sick. In fact, we get our word hospital from the word hospitality to the sick. That's where we get our word uh, hospital. Before the Industrial Revolution, there was no such thing as restaurants. Restaurants were called eating houses. And in eating houses, everybody would come into a public place and everybody would come and eat at large tables together, even if you would pay for the meal. And so in those eating houses, you would have poor people and rich people who would share the same sidewalk, share the same street, who would also come and share the same meal at a table. It was in Paris that the first restaurant uh, was created. And then it was possible for a person to go and sit and share a meal with nobody. To sit and eat in isolation or sit and eat alone. Maybe a better modern example of how we've seen hospitality operate in our culture, uh, other than the crisis we just saw, is uh, in hitchhiking. I've never hitchhiked. But uh, hitchhiking is a modern form with the advent of the car uh, came hitchhiking. And uh, I've never hitchhiked, but I remember my dad telling stories of people he's known. It was very common in his time. And even there were a few times I believe he told me, I think it was Chicago or somewhere, and I thought, I can no more imagine uh, starting out on the interstate with my thumb stuck out trying to get to Chicago than anything. But it was no big deal. People depended on the hospitality of each other. Now, that's a form of hospitality that's disappearing uh, mostly because of uh, safety. Now, somehow in our time, cooking has become not about hospitality, but it's become about the skill of the cook, not about the welcome of the guests. So, all with the advent of, um, 
you know, cooking magazines and cooking networks and cooking shows and cooking contests and food has become more elaborate, it's become more creative, and, but it's also become more task-oriented. Cooking is not about the guest, cooking is about the cook. The question is, how good can you cook? That's the question of culinary art. The question of biblical hospitality is, do you feel welcome here? And so the focus is not on the cook, the focus is on the guest. We've moved in our culture from a very communal culture to a very isolated culture. And with the rise of modern society, we've moved much faster than anyone could have imagined. And we now live in greater isolation than at any time in world history. I think there's several reasons for that. A few that I can think of is the mobility of society. I mean, I can, I can go down a two, uh, two city blocks from the house I grew up in and I can tell you the family name of every family that lived in every house on both sides of the street for two city blocks. The neighborhood that I grew up in, people didn't move. And so relationships tended to be long-standing. One generation knew the next generation, knew the next generation. We knew two and three generations of the same family because nobody moved. Now, it's just a reality of the society we live in. But every time mobility takes over, it reshuffles relationships like a deck of cards. And it makes that sense of community harder to uh, achieve. Technology has also been something that I think has made true community something harder to achieve. We live with our day of technology on our phone. Everywhere we go, notifications are constantly going off that we got people communicating with us. But I think it gives us the illusion of community and covers up our true need for it. We think nobody's got a thousand friends, right? Statistics tell us you can only know 60 people personally by name. Anything over that, you have, you have started to lose a sense of true connection. So whatever those people from your high school or the place you used to live or all of that that connect with you on Facebook, it, it's not d a deep relationship. The breakdown of the family has been a huge, has had a huge effect on the relational nature of our country. In other words, if I grew up in a family that's broken, I might conclude if the people closest to me are broken, maybe I won't let people close to me again. Maybe that's how I'll fix that. And it has created huge problems for us relationally. Now, in the present American culture, uh, in 1985, there was a survey done. The question was asked, how many confidants do you have? The average American said, in 1985, three. The same survey was retaken in 2004. And the same question was asked, how many confidants do you have? And the average American said, zero. We, we are moving at an accelerated pace, in a toxic way, into isolation. Now, now let me give you the most startling reality. You probably didn't know this. Suicides now outnumber homicides in the U.S. Oh, wow. And it strikes among the young and the old primarily. Suicides outnumber homicides. America's been called the loneliest nation on earth 
Look at the faces of the people when you stop at the red light and the cars around you and look at the toll the rat race is taking on us. It's profound. We've become more isolated and we've lost our sense of community and it's absolutely killing us. Now, what I wanted to do is uh, have a kind of community message this morning. Kind of a hospitality, a message at the table. So I want to invite uh, Pastor Mark uh, to the table. Would you just welcome him as he comes this morning? And I want to ask him to share a few thoughts with us. Pastor Mark is... uh, 36 years? 37? 40? 50? 36 years. 36 years. At this table. uh, Pastor Mark has been at this table. That's right. He's been at this church, and he is a phenomenal teacher. And so I just asked him, I said, Mark, would you come and share a few thoughts? He is a, uh, I hope you don't mind me using the word scholar, but but he's so rich in his study of the Bible that I just thought, would you please come and just share a few thoughts? I've shared a lot about Jesus' experience at the table. But what about the early church? I mean, what did the early church do? How did they live that out? What did you find? Well, you know, in the New Testament, uh, the disciples were so used to Jesus doing everything around a meal that they couldn't fathom what it would be like not doing meals with the early church. Um, the Bible says in, in fact, I think maybe, Jason, you've got it up there, in, in the book of Acts, the same chapter that we read about The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The very same chapter, we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers, listen to this, were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, every day, listen, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, in the early church, one of the first things they did in the very first chapter when the church was born, they started sharing table fellowship with one another. In fact, there's a really cool word that you, that you saw in the scripture, and it's, it was the word fellowship. I, I, I was trying to think, where did fellowship come from? And I thought, well, it's all the fellows in the same ship, I guess. That's <laughs> probably not. It's really an old Viking word. Uh, it's, it's a word... And it means everybody spending time together. That's what the word means. That's what fellowship means. Everybody spending time together. I guess when you're a Viking, you're all in the same boat, you know, literally. Fellows in the same, same ship. Boat. And, uh, and they spent a lot of time together. And uh, that's where we got that word. But the Greek word that comes from in the New Testament is the coolest word of all. It's the word koinonia koinonia some of you've heard that before there's some bible translations that translate that word table fellowship and the reason is the word koinonia comes from the root coin and coin is not a little thing that you pay something with coin means everybody's the same it means common everybody's the same 
fact, the New Testament was written in Greek called Koine Greek, common Greek. Everybody shared the same language. And um, koinonia meant that they could share in the church everybody together. They shared meals together. They shared laughter. They shared tears. And the Apostle Paul used that word koinonia more than anybody did. He used it constantly. He even made it a church word. He made it something that when he went there, he would say, I'm praying for you because you share with me in the koinonia of the gospel. We share the fellowship of the gospel. Just an incredible word. And um, to me, that, that sort of tells what, that, what Christianity is supposed to be. It's, it's table fellowship. They did it all the time. Uh, you read in, in Acts chapter 2, they even sold all their stuff and put everything in common and helped people as they needed it. It wasn't like they deserve it, they don't. It's just, there they were, all sharing everything in common. That became a Christian word. And then, I wanted to also mention, this is, this is really cool. The early church looked forward to something for the future. See, the apostle Peter had had a vision and he saw this sheep come down from heaven. It's also in the book of Acts. The sheep came down from heaven. In it were all kinds of animals and food that the Jews had called unclean. And God said, eat. And he said, I'm not going to eat that. I'm a Jew. I'm not going to eat that. I'm sure there was, you know, pork chops in there. <laughs> and I wouldn't do that. And God said, don't you dare call unclean what I have called clean. And he was trying to say, there are no people out there that are unclean. We're all common. Don't refuse to go to the table because somebody's sitting there. And that's how the church is. We don't refuse that. Anybody can walk in those doors that wants to. They can. They can come in. We don't say, okay, all the people that are sinners on this side, you know, people that have problems with drugs and alcohol over here and cigarettes over here and adultery over here and we don't do that. You can, sit, you can sit in the house of God and you can hear what God has to say because we're all in common. Well, that's what happened. The early church welcomed anybody. But here's the cool thing. In the future, Revelation chapter 19, we are headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Bible says it's going to be in heaven <laughs> and everybody from every strata of economics and every race and every nation and every past is going to eat together forever. That's pretty good. Boy, that's ultimate koinonia. That it? is koinonia. That's in, isn't that incredible? Koinonia. Great thought. Powerful. Mark, thank you. I, I also wanted to welcome this morning uh, to the table Clark White. Uh, and would you just welcome him as he's coming? Clark, uh, Clark is our administrative pastor, but Clark is also assuming, uh, beyond the uh, audio technical skills that he does, he's also assuming uh, leadership uh, of life groups this year and our connection ministries as a whole. But Clark, I, I wanted you to come and just share what's one of your, what's one of your favorite memories uh, in sharing a meal? Well, I'm definitely remember a, a, an invitation that I received early on in my time at Kingwood 
Uh, I, I came here as a single guy in 1994, in the summer of 94, so this is 20 years at the church. I, I didn't come here as a pastor. I came here as a visitor, like, uh, like a lot of us did. And, um, you know, was, was really captured by the church, by the, the worship and the preaching, and the, the sense of God's presence here was just awesome. But I wasn't making friends. And uh, no matter how great things were in the sanctuary, uh, if I hadn't made some friends, I would have gone looking for God and friends somewhere else. And, um, you know, what, what was really profound for me was uh, that, a, that a, group of, a group of young adults and, and, and some not-so-young adults uh, took notice of me and uh, decided to uh, sort of take me under their wing. And I, I'll never forget, they began to invite me out to eat after church. And we, we'd go to Cracker Barrel sometimes, Del Toro, they introduced me to Del Toro and Hunan too, you know, and all those places. But I, I, I look back on that and I, I'm so deeply indebted to people like Jimmy Howell and Kendall Gardner and Joellen Whitfield and Kevin McMillan and others that uh, they took me out week after week. And, you know, it wasn't any one meal that did it, but it was the fact that I I connected at the table and shared life and developed friendships. And what those friendships did for me was they, they attached me to the body of Christ at Kingwood. And I, I think back now, what, what if I had not gotten invited to the table? All the things that God wanted to do, all the plans he had for me here at Kingwood Church for my future, which had been many, uh, those may have never happened. So I'm so thankful for being invited to the table. Wow. Boy, isn't that powerful? So, koinonia is we're all at the table and we're all in common. No one's better than anyone else, bigger than anyone else. And, and then on your side, you were invited to that table. We talked last week about how in all cultures, an invitation to the table is an invitation across a boundary line. It's an invitation into deeper relationship. Uh, a famous cultural anthropologist discovered that. Now, just to be clear... Uh, if anybody invites you out to lunch, it doesn't mean you have to be a pastor the rest of your life. Just want to make that clear. So it's okay to eat. We're not, you don't have to sign, sign up for anything like that. Well, Mark, tell us, um, what's one of your favorite memories at the table? Well, um, I'll have to say, uh, when I was growing up, our big meal was at lunchtime, and we called it dinner. <laughs> we had breakfast, dinner, and supper. Now, how many of y'all, that's, see? Welcome to the South. That's what it was. Uh, my dad was a, you know, had a retail store, and he came home every day at noon, and we ate lunch together. Of course, you didn't have to drive 30 miles. Ashland, it was like literally three blocks. And um, we, I would come home from school. I lived two blocks from the high school, so I would just come home every day and eat real quickly, but I would eat. And uh, that was our big meal. Well, at night, we sort of scrounged around, you know, sandwiches, leftovers, and um, my dad had the most incredible meal that he just, he loved this. He would get crackers, saltine crackers, which he called soda crackers, and uh, those Vienna sausages, which we called Vienna sausages. Did anybody say Vienna? Yes. <laughs> and then he would get, no, not baked beans, pork and beans out of the can. Oh, yeah, come on. He would take a cracker, put 
a little bit of pork and beans on the cracker. He would cut one of those vienas in half, lay them there, and put a little sweet pickle. And he taught me when I was a kid how to do that. And that was the best supper in the world. So it really, it wasn't what we ate that was so good. It was who we ate it with. Hmm. Wow. So... That's, that's an incredible story, isn't it? For those of you outside the South, you learned a lot about Southern dialect there, didn't you? <laughs> you know, what's fascinating to me, we as a staff have shared a lot of stories about the table uh, in this month, and we've read a lot in the devotions, and we've heard from mission stories. Something that strikes me about every story is that when you look at it at the time, what was happening was nothing. When you look back on it, everything was happening. It, it, it's, it's unfortunate that in our culture, we don't value relationship, relationships enough to know when they're happening. But at the table, they're happening. But it feels like nothing's happening. But those years with your dad, they still register in your soul today. And, some of us, and Clark, you're still here. <laughs> Thank God, thank God you're here. And, and you are because somebody, no one event took place there. So this is what we've been saying this month is that our vision this year is to understand the biblical reality of the table. And that we might practice it as New Testament believers in the 21st century in our church. And so um, inside your bulletin this morning... Uh, there's several things that I have left for you, and I just want to talk them through as we wrap the service up. If In your bulletin, there's a little card, and if you don't have one, our ushers are ready now. Ushers, would you, would you just come on? And there's a little card like this that says the table. And um, if you need one, if you just wave at one of our ushers, they'll be moving around for a few minutes. If you need one, if you didn't get it's one in every bulletin, but if you didn't get a bulletin, you don't have one. And uh, if you need one, if you just wave at one of our ushers as they go by. Our vision this year has been at the table, and there's two basic ways for you to be involved. One is to help set the table. Uh, to help us set the table in this year of vision. The, the other way to be involved is to find your place at the table. So I want to talk for a few minutes about both of those. Now... I want to share with you before we talk about uh, any giving commitment. Uh, we asked you last year to make a commitment to our Connect the Dots vision. And I just want to update you on some of the progress we made. And you'll see some slides on the overhead that will make you aware of that. Uh, last year, one of the things we wanted to do is take some of our uh, relationship, our life group rooms, where we, where we bring people to the table. And we wanted to update them and renovate them because so much of that space hadn't changed since we moved into this building uh, 12 or 13, 14 years ago, 15 years ago. So they were kind of outdated and old and beat up. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you know we use our building day and night. Practically any day of the week you can come and it's open. And we're proud of that. We're grateful for that. We're very good stewards of our building. It gets a lot of traffic. But it also gets a lot of wear. And so we didn't want to send the message to anyone 
that either they or relationships at our church were not valuable. So we set out to do a renovation project and to update our, our rooms where relationships are built. So we did. So last year we have, we have updated and suited out with technology and furniture and carpet and paint and really made a nice welcoming place in every downstairs room, classroom in our building. They're all, they're all updated. Upstairs we've updated our largest classroom that maybe has uh, maybe 80 people uh, it'll hold. Uh, with technology and everything. So we've updated that. Last year we also hired a part-time uh, life group coordinator, uh, Nathan, I think, I see right there. Wait for a second, Nathan. And Nathan has spent a year uh, working diligently with our first teams uh, and also with life groups and has done a fabulous job. But, uh, and so that's one of the major steps we took forward last year. A lot of the life group progress we made this year was because of his work. And so I'm really grateful to him. Uh, also, we renovated the foyer. When you walk into the building, we wanted to be able to say, we thought about you before you got here. And we want to we set the table. We want it to be a welcome place. And so you've seen our foyer renovation, the floor, uh, the welcome center, and all of that. We also updated our software um, that helps us keep track you know, of up-to-date information, uh, how many people, uh, who, who attends what group, and those kind of things. Now, we're, in, we're continuing to be in a software transition called My Kingwood. Some of you use it for giving. Some of you are going to begin to use it in the coming weeks for a multitude of things. Some of our life group leaders and hosts are going to use it to, to uh, do better care with people. But in the next couple of months, you're going to see a big change in our church. And that software, and that's an investment we made, and it's, it's really helping. We completely redid our website last year. Uh, maybe you've uh, been on to kingwoodchurch.com and you've seen it. A lot more user-friendly, a lot easier to use, and so that's another one of the advancements we made. But let me tell you the difference. I mean, who really cares, right, other than it's pretty, unless it makes a difference? Let me tell you the difference that it made. Last year, we have 120 adults who have become a part of a life group who weren't a part of a life group the year before because we set a better table. We welcomed better. We invited people in a better way. Eighty-four people last year were baptized in water. Now, now that, welcomed into the kingdom. That's a phenomenal reality. Ninety-nine people attended our first step lunch. Almost a hundred people came to a, a hospitality table and said, let me just find out more about Kingwood. A hundred and thirty-one adults and high schoolers were in a year-long intense uh, discipleship process through edge, life streams, and life currents. Now, ultimately, what the church is about is making disciples, right? So I think that is a, a phenomenal reality. So your, your giving and your serving made a huge difference last year. And on top of that, uh, many of you know that have been around a while, our legacy building, our gym, uh, our youth room, and that facility that's been, it's open almost every day. It gets a lot of traffic. We started with a debt of 2.8 million uh, in 2004, and now because you're giving, we've lowered that debt to 332 thousand dollars. So we're very, very, very close. Uh, so all the while we're moving vision forward, we're also paying debt down. Nearly 90 thousand dollars we paid on that debt last year. So your giving's made a big difference. Now, what I want to do, the card that I've given you, is I just want to share with you this year's need, and I want to share with you what we're going to do. Uh, continue to raise the vision, continue to lower the debt. 
The upstairs life group rooms that we have, the big one, the large meeting room is renovated, but the other ones are not. We want to target those, and we want to continue renovating and make a welcoming space for people. No matter where they go in this building, we want them to know they're important, relationships are important, and we want to welcome people in the right way. So uh, we need some more funds to do that. Some uh, external and internal signage on, on our building uh, to make it clear who we are and what we are and all of that. Um, George Barna says, in the average community, only one out of seven unchurched people can name the name of one church in their city. Only one out of seven. And so we've got to do better work there, and we need your help with that. We want to complete kind of phase two, the four-year renovation. I won't go into all that includes, but we, we want to take what we started in the four-year, and we want to finish it. And here's uh, another big deal. We want to launch an internet campus. Now, let me tell you what that's about. The day of everybody who needs ministry showing up at the property is over. Well, we have to leave our property and leave our campus, and we have to minister to people where they are. I mean, how, how many of you do banking on the Internet? You check out grocery stores on the Internet. You connect with other people, right? Every, almost everything you can do, let's face it, if you can do it on the Internet, you do it, don't you? Yes, because it's faster, it's easier. There are people we can minister to on the Internet who will receive ministry there first before they'll ever come on our campus. Now, we can't build relationships that way, but it is a first step of ministry by which we can welcome people into that opportunity and then bring them into relationship, but we've got to reach further out. And so there's expense involved with that, with, you know, uh, the technology we need, the cameras we need, the things we need. And then video cast. We want to we be able to video cast the services. So if you're out, if you're out of town, if you're sick, if you can catch it streaming fine, if you want to catch up on one you missed, you can go and catch up on that service. So you don't have to uh, miss anything. So we also want to continue to pay the debt down. Now you can see in the slide uh, behind me, all of that, $60,000 for the vision, $70,000 to continue to pay the debt down, and we'll be in the 200000s this time next year, closing in on zero on that debt. Now, last year we asked you for 70000 We received nearly ninety. So if you give more than that, guess where it's going to go? It's going to go on that debt. It's going to go to knock that debt out because we, we want to knock that debt out and get it off of our back. Now, if you look in the card... Let me simply explain that. Inside the card at the top, uh, we've kind of tried to lay it out and say, what would be an easy way for you to see how you might give? At the top are one-time gifts. If it's highlighted in yellow, it means we've already received that much of that category. So, for example, we said if we could get one $10,000 gift, it would help. We've already received that one. It doesn't mean we won't take another one. It just means... To make the thing work, uh, we've got that one. Uh, two gifts of 5000 These are one time. So if you want to make a gift today, in just a moment, uh, in fact, uh, uh, ushers, if you would hand out an offering envelope. I'm sorry, I forgot to ask you. ago. If you need an offering envelope to make a cash offering or check today, just wave it. They'll pass you twice. So uh, as we're talking, wave at one of them if you need that envelope. Um, 
These are the monthly or the one-time gifts at the top. At the bottom are the monthly pledges we need. And you can see the yellow, 40%, 70%. You can see how much we've received for this year's vision to date and what we need left. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Can you look at um, those areas and say, I think our family could take this on. Uh, for some people, you say a one-time gift is much easier for us. Maybe you've received... Uh, a gift or a bonus or something, you say, that's what our family can do. Maybe for you, you say, you know, really a little bit every month is better for us. Either way, uh, we budget what we're going to do in this vision and in our debt based on what you tell us. So um, that's the information. We gave you the card last week to give you a, a notice. If you can look at it and say, here's what I think our family can do. Now, I think, Clark... We can do this on the giving kiosk too, is that right? Make a, a one-time gift yes. on the giving kiosk in the foyer and also the online? The category's legacy. The category's legacy. All of this is legacy. Whether it's debt or vision, doesn't matter. It's all legacy. And on kingwoodchurch.com, just give to legacy, right? Okay, and, and that'll make it work. On the back, here's what's there. There's a little blank that says, here's your one-time gift or here's my monthly gift. We have a few people that are able to do both. And if that's you... We're grateful for you. At the bottom, let me explain. There's some blanks for your name, phone, phone number, email, and your cell phone carrier. Let me tell you what we won't do with that. <laughs> if you make a monthly gift and you miss a month, we're not going to send you a text and say, blah, boo. We'll send you a frowny face, okay? We're not going to send you anything about your commitment you made to give. What we, what we are doing is collecting accurate information. So I don't know. Let me just pull like a rabbit out of that. In case there's, say, like a snowstorm or something like that. It gives us current information to text you information about our church or ministry. For example, we had a shelter open here, and we have several people overnight whose car uh, was stuck on industrial road. It just gives us an ability to communicate with you, and we don't overuse it. We use it very strategically, and we use it when we feel like it's uh, best for you, okay? So that's what that's for. Um, what I want to ask you to do is make that commitment today. In just a minute, I'm going to ask our ushers. In fact, ushers, if you'd go ahead and come forward, they're going to receive whatever offering you have. If you have a one-time gift, they'll receive that. If you have a monthly commitment, they'll receive that. You can put the card you can put the offering envelope inside um, the offering bag. And as we're receiving that, then I'm going to tell you the other way to be involved. First, help us set the table. Uh, the other one is find your place at the table. So, Lord, today we just make a commitment to you, to the vision of this church family. I think about what Mark received at a table. I think about what Clark received at a table. I think about the stories I didn't even have a chance to share in my own life, how I've been impacted. I think about the people who will be gathering at tables today with their life group, celebrating 20 days of prayer and breaking a fast. And I think about how all that's possible because of the vision you've given us as a church. Lord, we bind our resources together just like the early church, koinonia, everything in common. We share so that we might see the common good and the vision of Jesus in this city. Lord, bless this offering Help us to meet the need at hand in Jesus' name. Amen. So as our ushers are receiving, you can go ahead and uh, give. As you're giving, um, I want to share just about two minutes, three minutes.
uh, on how you can find your place at the table. Um, in your pew is a life group guide. If you go to kingwoodchurch.com, you can go to your smartphone right now. You can go to the connect button, and it'll lead you to a link that'll show you uh, all the life groups that are available. And life group host, if you will, go ahead and find your way to the foyer. All of our life group hosting leaders, go ahead and find your place in the foyer. Um, this is a guide, and all it does is it shows you all the life groups that you can get involved in this spring from starting today. Today starts our life group semester. Our spring semester ends in April. So for three months, uh, some groups will meet twice a month. That's six times. Some will meet every week. That's 12 times. Some will meet maybe once a month. That's three times. Either way, this shows you how you can begin to build relationships at Kingwood. Now, here's what I want you to think about when I, when I dismiss you in a moment and you leave and you're able to go find your place at the table. In our culture, friends is a TV show or a number on a Facebook account. But we don't think about friends as people we laugh and cry and grow with and pray with. But this, this isn't about just finding friends. This isn't about going to the local club or local organization or to the barber shop. Or, this isn't just about establishing earthly friendships. As Clark said, this is about finding a connection to the eternal family of Jesus. That family is supernatural. When you connect to Christ's family, you connect to all of Jesus' resources. And everything in God's kingdom is now possible in your life because you are glued in and, and netted together. Would you, I, Clark, I didn't even think about it until you said it. I, it never crossed my mind. What if you hadn't accepted or what if you hadn't been invited? One of the greatest staff our church has ever had may never have served in kingdom fruitfulness in the way that he has probably wouldn't have met his wife, right? right. He met Kelly, but I can't wait till next service when she's here. Would have never met her, Emma and Joshua. Your life has been radically changed by an invitation to a table. Now that demands that we as a church offer that invitation and it makes it very important that you as a new or unconnected person receive that invitation. And so today, we're just offering that to you to find your place at the table. So, you've been, you've been sitting. Would you just stand with me for a minute? And we're going to close in prayer, and I'm going to dismiss you. Lord, I thank you for the day that we've had together this morning. I thank you for the joy of this fast. I thank you for the laughter and the stories that will be shared about snow and about crises and about fasting and about prayer. I thank you for the stories that are going to flow like a song all throughout today in relationships. When we think nothing is happening, probably some of the most important things in our life will actually be happening. And so, Lord, today I pray you would bless, help us to do better as a church with the invitation. And, and Lord, for those who are not connected, Lord, I pray you would urge them in their soul this morning to take that step of faith and to, to give it a chance. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the service in Christ's name.